Welcome to the Wonder Learn Podcast. I'm your host, Francis Tapon. In this episode, I interview Brittany Hosmer Longoria, a woman that you probably don't recognize her name, but you might have seen her photo in 2018 where she's holding up a dead leopard that she shot in Namibia. Now, this photo stirred an incredible amount of controversy. There was a hashtag war calling her Cuntress, find this bitch, hunt the huntress, hunt, it, murder her, poacher, everything. It was quite a controversy, and I want to hear her side of the story. What was it about this photo that stirred so much controversy? Why did people get so upset about it? What's her side of the story? Why did she take the photo? What does hunting mean to her? And fundamentally, we dive deep into some really profound questions about the morality of hunting. And it's these moral questions that I think make up the most interesting part of the interview toward the end, even though it is painful to discuss and difficult to discuss. I appreciate Brittany's courage and calmness during the entire interview, even though I was really pushing her buttons. Welcome to the Wonder Learn podcast. I'm your host, Francis Tapon. I'm here with Brittany Hosmer Longoria, and it's a name that many of you may not have heard, but she definitely hit the news hard in 2018 uh, with a certain event happened. And I'm here at the SCI, the Safari Club International Conference here in Reno, Nevada, to discuss what exactly happened, why did she hit the headlines so hard, and what's her side of the story that may not have been captured in the media frenzy around just a single picture that got out into the public. So welcome, Brittany. Thank you so much. Or what exactly happened that got everybody so excited? Just to give you an idea of how excited they got, she got onto a hashtag war, hashtag find this bitch, hashtag hunt the hunter, hashtag monster, mon- mons- monstress, hashtag disgusting, hashtag cuntress, hashtag immoral, hashtag murder her, as in not murder her, uh, kill her and um, hashtag poacher. So a lot of strong uh, words against you. And uh, tell us a little bit about what happened, kind of the facts from your end. I've always been very private with my hunting and have worked in conservation for about 15 years. And so my experience was a photo was taken of me with a leopard, a large male leopard. A dead one. A dead one (laughs) in Namibia. And I had submitted it to Safari Club to record my hunting heritage. And it went viral because someone had pulled it off of an internal website. Okay, so from the beginning, you didn't mean this to go public. It's not like you put it on your Instagram account. Absolutely not. I'm it's hunting for me is very personal and it's not about ego and sharing and getting publicity this was something that was more of just a record keeping okay now in the photo that which i'm looking at right now you're pretty much hugging or holding up the dead leopard and you have you're smiling um but you're not really gloating in a way like you're stepping on his head or really kind of disrespecting or taking a dump on the animal or doing anything like you're trying to you're you're just holding your accomplishment up your your trophy in this case so i've seen a million of these photos and stuff that's a a bit more aggressive as far as uh showing off uh and, and being maybe perhaps a little bit more disrespectful what i don't understand is why this particular photo elicited so much vitriol? I think that, for one, it is an emotional species. Everyone 
knows what a leopard is. When you say the word leopard, you get a, a, an image. You, you know it. You can relate to it. It means something. And then secondly, there are a lot of people that possibly followed her for her talent. And then when she was posting this as a political move, it became viral within the Hollywood community and different sectors. Okay, so to summarize, basically what happened was that you took this photo, submitted it to a private server, effectively. It wasn't never went public. Susan, whatever her name is, got, somehow was the first person to pu publish it, and then it somehow went viral from that. Even though the photo itself is nothing extraordinary uh, in, in the grand scheme of things, and whatever reason, it just caught fire. Absolutely. Wildfire. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then all of a sudden you got death threats? Death threats. Um, go and hunt her. Put her head on our wall. I mean, just incredibly violent, grotesque, disgusting, personal threats. What have you learned, Brittany, from this experience? You gave a talk today and I was there. I listened to it. You, you talked about the emotion, answering emotion with emotion. Can you break that down a little bit for me? What I found in the mix of all of this was that they were not attacking me as an individual. People are sometimes misinformed about the concept of hunters who travel internationally. And what I felt was that these people that were very angry and very emotional and upset were asking me the question, why? Why did I do it? And I felt if I could give them a personal response emotionally versus facts and figures that potentially maybe I could break through and they would maybe understand me and my story. Okay, so part of this conversation is to understand not just your side of things, but also to, to give uh, a chance to everybody hear all sides of the story as possible. And so I want to get into a little bit more of these facts and figures. Let's start off with, so somebody's listening to this and say, you know, I don't like hunting. And let's say you need to convince them on a rational level, not on an emotional level, but just on a rational level. Where do you start? If I take a look at Namibia, where I hunted this leopard, if the land that I hunted on, a wild, free-ranging area, was not used for hunting, it would not be used for ecotourism or photo safaris. It was way out in the middle of nowhere, not easily accessible, not good accommodations or food or catering or anything like that. Only 100% supported by traveling hunters. So let's take a look at that, that region. If I didn't go and hunt that leopard as well as other game species, plains game, antelope and such, that land would be way more productive as agriculture land or grazing land. So immediately what would happen is you would have human encroachment and you would utilize the land for its highest and greatest use. So in turn, yeah, okay, it's not necessarily conserving an individual species, but you're conserving wild areas and habitat, which ultimately conserves a plethora of other species. Okay, and so you also, another thing that's not known and, uh, to some people, they, they even hashtag poacher. You're not a poacher. <laughs> you actually did this legally. Can you talk about the process and the cost of doing this legally? 
there's a drives me crazy it just hurts my feelings so bad it's like the word it's it's such a swear word to be called a poacher because a poacher is the most vile disgusting wasteful person that would go in and hunt something and utilize it just for certain aspects of the animal versus respecting and understanding the animal the difference between a poacher is that it's done illegally and often for profit, whether it's bushmeat or ivory or horn, and a hunter goes in and legally and ethically hunts the species. The cost for my hunt was right around probably $40,000 at the end of the day. Okay, and then where does that 30, let's say call it $35,000, where does that money go? It also goes to a variety of people you have the hunting outfitter that gets the daily rates you get the landowner that gets what they call trophy fees which is when you harvest an animal there's a specific cost to that animal and then you have the taxidermy and the preparing in the field and butchering of the the animals for for eating purposes And then there's conservation fees, there's permitting fees. Um, This leopard has what's called a CITES permit, a Convention of International Trade of Endangered Species. So it's one of the most regulated huntable areas, excuse me, huntable species is the leopard. So you have fees going to the government of Namibia and their wildlife and conservation programs throughout the whole entire country. Now, you said that you use the word endangered species at some point, so somebody might hear that and say, okay, doesn't that mean the leopard is an endangered species and therefore should be automatically protected? Absolutely. You you would certainly have a knee-jerk reaction to that. When you take a look at endangered species, you're looking at a worldwide population. So in all these different regions and areas, there's different population sizes based on habitat quality and predator-prey ratios and everything like that. So again, if we focus in on where I specifically hunted in Namibia, you have the CITES Convention that issues about 500 permits per year. They estimate the leopard total population within the country to be about 20,000. So they found that a sustainable level of use is 500 or less, but what's going on in Namibia is that there was only 172 CITES permits asked for and taken. So it's actually an, an underutilized resource in Namibia. And a lot of people might imagine that you, you know, you're given a rifle or you, you bring your own rifle and then you just go out there and they say, okay, jump in a car, shoot a leopard. It's not that simple. No, it's weeks, <laughs> weeks and weeks and days of, of, of hunting. I mean, you are constantly focusing on finding tracks, finding, setting up trail cams, seeing, setting baits and seeing what's coming in. And then once you have kind of a, a knowledge of an area based on, based on what is coming in, you can then start kind of deducing how you want to hunt the individual animal. So for instance, we had, geez, we probably had 10, 15 baits that we would go around and check every single day. We'd be looking for hair and scat and tracks and any type of 
of hints and clues of the of, of a leopard and then setting up the trail cams where we're pretty sure there's something good coming in and good as in a mature male leopard something that's past his prime something that's probably out of the breeding cycles and could be sustainably taken from the population okay why not target a mature female that's past her prime i would say that it's they females can breed for much longer than males so the permit is specifically for a male is it possible to get a permit for a female i don't know i don't think so okay um and so then does did you get to see any other leopards or you just found that one leopard and then say okay or was there a situation where you saw okay there's these leopards but don't shoot those keep let's keep looking absolutely we had several baits that were being hit by young females and then some young males that were kind of the same size as the female and then there was this one <laughs> there's one bait that was getting hit by this old loner that was just on the far 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 side of the property that would take literally several hours to get to from where we were camped out and that was the one that we selected and decided okay we're gonna set up the blind build it create it with reeds and grasses and wait it out for for that one to come back in what's the biggest misconception that people have about hunting or one of the biggest you know what uh, there's several things right <laughs> Absolutely. That's a that's an overwhelming question. I, I mean, th there's a lot of things, a lot, lot of myths that people have that are just flat out wrong. And you would like to dispel those. Here you have the microphone and try to knock it out. I would say for me as a hunter that it is something that is so incredibly religious. And I say it religious and sacred and mean the word fully because the whole entire process is meditative and intensive and emotional and oftentimes when people who have not experienced hunting view hunting just as the end goal of, of killing something or harvesting something whereas for a hunter the whole process is so inclusive from the very beginning of planning and daydreaming and booking a hunt or planning on going on a hunt to the actual process of being there and the preparation and the patience that it takes to hopefully culminate in in harvesting the animal that you're you're going after so i would say that that's probably the biggest thing is that people think that hunting is is a chase and a pursuit but there's so much more intangible aspects that, that drives a hunter to do what they do. Some people don't even think of it as a chase. Other people have a belief that you just kind of like jump in a car, you drive 100 meters, you stop, there's like a few things, you shoot and you go home. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that there are some hunts that are very easy and simple. I'd say some of my favorite hunts are, are mountain hunts, which are incredibly physically demanding. One thing I never really understand is, is that people who are against hunting and are meat eaters it just to me is a paradox don't you think absolutely it's very it's very hard to live in such a disconnected world where you have people that believe and feel that okay you, you, because you're a hunter you're evil because you're the one that's actually doing the killing 
Whereas anyone who, who even is a vegan, I mean, if you think about it, that there's deer and fawns and all kinds of different wildlife that the habitat is being taken away for for agriculture purposes and that you're killing intentionally because of road systems that provide vegan foods and, you know, that you never hear about. That's a fascinating argument, uh, Brittany. I never even thought about it. And it's, it's quite illuminating that you're basically saying that, you know, I, I sometimes people say, like, you know, you're vegetarian because you hate plants. <laughs> so you're going to kill the plants. <laughs> um, but, but also this whole notion that a lot of times people don't understand the opportunity costs. In other words, where if you want to plant a bunch of corn and soybeans, you're taking away wildlife uh, area habitat for big mammals to start Absolutely. with. Absolutely. And obviously that leather and different animal-based products are off-limits to vegans, but then you have petroleum-based synthetics and different types of things like that that are totally fine. And the amount of devastation and destruction caused by those industries are way, way more than an individual going and hunting and harvesting a single animal. So you're saying that the the vegan who's complaining about this is driving around maybe in an SUV or any car, actually, for that matter, and is consuming petroleum, and that is a resource that is having an environmental impact Absolutely. in many ways. Absolutely, and also the types of clothes, like you hear about vegan leather and stuff like that, which is a synthetic, which is created from the petroleum industry. Yeah, it's st I'm still pondering your, your that's a very a big uh, mind-shifting thing mm -hmm. where you have this idea that, okay, well, we're planting a lot of crops, so actually even a vegan has an impact on animals because you're taking away habitat and land that is fertile that could normally support all sorts of types of animals, an abundance of animals, and yet we've taken that all away from them and we've maybe even set traps to make sure that they don't come there and, and take these things away. So as a result, even a vegan is having an impact. I'd never thought about that. That's fascinating. Well, the biggest thing is, is that in order to live, you cause death. So whether you... You can't eat rocks. You can't. <laughs> and you, you take up space, you use resources, and that's just a matter of it. And I feel that Oftentimes, there's that disconnection and that hunting at times can bring people closer to understanding their aspect and their part in that whole life-death life cycle. Okay. Now, I had my own... I, I'm, I'm just trying as much as possible to try to understand both sides of the fence. And so to understand the, the hunting argument, but also to understand where the people who are anti-hunting are coming from. And I, here's the best argument I could come up with, and I, I'm going to throw it at you and see if, you, if, if I can sway you or at least or sway other people who are listening here and just maybe not agree with the anti-hunters, anti-hunting anti crowd, but at least to understand. And that's the point of this conversation is so that people who are anti-hunting can hear your perspective. They may not agree with you. But at least to respect your argument and to understand and say, okay, I, all right, I kind of see where she's going. I don't really get it. I mean, I don't really go that. I don't agree with her logic, but at least I kind of know that you're not utterly insane. And then likewise, <laughs> the people uh, that, that are hunters who might look at people who are anti-hunters and they think that they're utterly insane uh, because they just don't get it. 
Well, here's the, here's the argument. Let me throw it at you. Uh, and and it comes in two levels. The notion that you can, that, that one of the prime ideas of hunting is, is let's target older males that are past their prime, past their reproduction years, put an economic value on their heads, and then use that money to help sustain the rest of the population that's around them, correct? Correct. All right. So now, what if we did the same thing with regards to, let's say, human beings? So let's say your father is past his prime, and we said, okay, we're going to put a billion-dollar head on him. So for somebody's going to pay a billion dollars, not to you necessarily, but to his community or to his state or his city or whatever. And as a result, he's going to die. So it's a, it's a, it's, but, but as a result, we're going to raise money for the whole human community. We're going to be able to build hospitals, farms, and all sorts of other good things coming out of that thing. It's, it's a sadness that we lose one of our older members of the community, but it's better for the whole community. Most people would say what? Oh, my goodness, no. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, okay, so, and, and, and so that's when it becomes kind of a, like a moral argument on behalf of the anti-hunters. They might say, okay, yes, I understand the logic behind hunting, that we're using the money of hunting in order to preserve and conserve the environment, to conserve wildlife, to help sustain wildlife, but in the end, it's still immoral because you're still shooting an animal and killing an animal. Da 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 da. And this, forget about the the meat eaters. I won't even listen to those people because meat eaters who complain should shut the fuck up, in my opinion. <laughs> but, um, but, but, but when somebody is vegetarian or vegan, until today, when you just threw out this vegan argument, which I had never thought about before, I had always kind of listened to vegans and vegetarians a little bit more carefully because, at least, I feel they're more morally consistent. You know, they're saying Absolutely. don't kill animals, and they and don't they kill animals, right? No. I mean, they don't, they're not guns for – meat eaters, fish eaters, chicken eaters, they're all just subcontracting the quote-unquote murder that they disapprove of. Correct. <laughs> um, and so at the same time, I'm trying to understand their perspective, and this would be kind of an argument. What do you, what, what's your reaction, and how would you then say, okay, I, I want to defend that against that, that argument that – it's not a good analogy, let's say. Absolutely. I would say, well, then if that's the analogy we're giving, then as the highest intellectual animal on the, on the earth, we should not be killing other humans. Why are we going to war and having people having abortions and different things like that if that is kind of the ethical, moral thing? But shouldn't we be looking at at different militaristic and different healthcare issues. Right, but a lot of people are against uh, either uh, war or that kind of stuff. But this is, I'm using this as a perfect argument of saying we're going to sacrifice the oldest males of the human community and harvest them and use the money that we raise from that to better the human community. To raise versus a war, you just go around and shoot people, and and it's and it's more chaotic. It's not so systematic. It's not so purposeful necessarily. Um, in the case of this crazy proposal I'm throwing out, <laughs> yeah. it's 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 I'm trying to make a perfect analogy with hunting, and 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 following the logic, and and everybody 
including you, including me, has a knee-jerk reaction, no fucking way. We're not going to let that happen because humans are, you know, you wouldn't let that happen. Nobody would. But, it's, it is a cons- but if you value animals just like humans, then all of a sudden that argument makes a bit of sense. In other words, you can kind of understand their perspective the, of the animal activist who's a vegan and who says, no, we got to protect them no matter what. Even though logically hunting makes sense. Even though logically, but there's a lot of things that might be logical, but then immoral in their perspective. What do you think? It comes down to, again, the comment of it's a life-death life cycle. You can't be here on this earth without causing death. So if it's a matter of morals, there is an intangible way that you can take a look at it as we are the conservers and the zookeepers or the custodians, the stewards of our natural resources and it's our responsibility. So when we have the human element within the natural world, it becomes our responsibility versus us being removed from the natural world. So it's more of not so much a moral, but a paradigm focus. Okay. Let me uh, put part two because it's it's interesting. A lot of people I was expecting, because I I talked to an SCI Foundation uh, doctorate, Comer, uh, just yesterday, and he came up and says, well, human beings, he he didn't use the argument. He used a different argument, and you haven't used it, and I I was expecting you to, which is that human beings are different. That's why it's a bad analogy, that human beings are kind of like a higher life form. We're more intelligent or whatever, and so therefore we're separated from animals, but you're shaking your head. No, we, we are we are just as much of an animal as anything else and that's why your your analogy even though you threw out threw my, my poor daddy under the bus <laughs> but <laughs> sorry I, i'm trying to make it emotional <laughs> <laughs> it's it's one of the things is that we're not separated from it we are a part of it just as much as a pack of wolves going and hunting down a deer we are just as much a natural predator as any other type of of animal right uh but again trying to some people would say no we're omnivores we're not not necessarily like i mean a bear cannot live on vegetables a wolf cannot live on vegetables but human beings can so we're not we do not we don't have to uh, eat meat and fish in order to survive there's a lot of vegetarians who live until 90 years old correct so so in other words, it's not, we are part of nature. I agree with that argument and all that stuff. It's just that some people would counteract and say, yes, but we don't need, it's not necessarily part of our nature. It was part of our ancient nature, in, in other words. Uh, but in the modern world today, we don't need to necessarily harvest meat. Again, coming from the vegan vegetarian perspective. Absolutely. But I would say that, that hunting is in my blood. Hunting is not just a tradition. It's a, it's a f- true physical attribute of the shape of my body where my eyes are forward like any other predator. They're not on the sides. To give the full 180 degree perspective, there's true tangible scientific aspects that illustrate whether, whether I want to morally or ethically choose to eat vegan 
diets or a carnivorous diet or omnivorous diet that I have been built in a certain way that allows me to make that choice. Right, but there's a lot of things. The counter argument would be that there's a lot of things that we are naturally uh, inclined to do. If you look at how chimpanzees behave, we're not that far distant from them. Mm -hmm. They might commit fratricide. They might uh, steal. They might do things. But we have moral codes that override some of our primal instincts. We, you know, somebody, you might meet somebody, and you, uh, somebody might feel like killing somebody else just out of anger or whatever stuff like that but we've created laws to, to stop that we've created all sorts of laws that govern so that we a- adapt moral behavior even things that were moral and uh, immoral in the past such as that homosexuality is now we've changed that moral code and say okay now that's legal and we can't stone somebody for being homosexual or, or a, a white person marrying a black person so there's an evolution if you will, of our morality, and, and, and as a result, we've changed our behavior. So, again, this is kind of where they're coming at. Yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying, that often anti-hunters want to put hunting in the past, as during the speech I said, like bear baiting or cockfighting, something that's grotesque and violent. The difference is, is that hunting is not grotesque and violent. It's not a show. It's not a sport. It's an individual interacting on a very natural level with wild nature. But it is. I mean, isn't it a sport? Because there's sportsmen's and, that, you know, this is a... Sportsmen's, you, you are confusing it. It's not a sport as in a competition, but a sportsman as in a matter of ethics. So if you're a good sportsman in a game, you illustrate your code of ethics and your morals within the arena and then while I was here again at SEI trying to think of the all the counter arguments and uh, I came up with that the old grandpa let's harvest the grandpa's argument and then I thought of another argument that a vegetarian or a vegan could use to say this is why even though logically it makes sense to hunt and it does support the population it has all these other benefits that we talked about it's still immoral and therefore should be banned and that and this is kind of this, for those who reject the the harvesting of grandpa's argument how about the harvesting of dogs in other words so like we pick a dog we go to somebody's dog and we say okay we're going to put a billion dollar head can you take us your dog spot and we're going to execute for the good of not just the dogs out there but also humans we're going to be able to build schools roads and take that and, and help the community uh, pass out good health care and all the things that hunting does. We're going to do it, but we're going to take people's dogs away and, and execute them. So for those who say, you know, you, the, the, the grandpa analogy is not good because they're humans, they would still, I think, what, fight back, right? They wouldn't really be too happy about us harvesting their dogs, even the old ones. Absolutely. And you look at the your Asian communities that eat dogs right. you know it's it's very common i mean even in africa you go to vi- through villages and there's no dogs and it's well why well it's because they eat them mm-hmm. and that comes down to a, a cultural thing that there's again the kind of the western disconnect between animals and species and 
different emotional levels based on what's charismatic versus what's not creates that emotional value. So it would be the same. So Brittany, you you hear all these arguments and you don't get swayed by them because even though they're I'm, they're trying to be made as a moral argument, you're saying it's not a moral argument because of our primal nature that that hunting brings. Also, the logical argument, which is it does have some sort of benefit. Am I missing something? I would say also the internal spiritual side of it Mm -hmm. that you have facts and figures and you have the obviously true tangible benefits you have the science that back up the management but then you have the human need for wild places and there are non-hunters that can feel connected through mountain biking or hiking or kayaking and that's awesome how I personally do it is through hunting and the elements of the places that I go in pursuit of a single species, there's no way that I'd ever go. For instance, I just got back from Pakistan in November. There's no way that a normal person would just be like, hey, let's go vacation in Pakistan. Mm -hmm. And climbing in the mountains and seeing what I saw and being around the local people in the villages, The only way that I would have gotten there was being a hunter. And I'm so thankful to be able to have those types of internal, soulful experiences through hunting. Right. Again, people would say, but there's, you know, you can go backpacking, you can go hiking, you can go mountaineering, and you don't necessarily have it. And they can be equally spiritual. But for you, there's something else there. But if what if somebody says, but Brittany, that's fine that you feel this great connection or experience that's deep, but what you're doing is immoral, right? How would you react? I would say, well, then they don't have to do it. Right, but, but <laughs> I understand. <laughs> but, but, but when you declare something immoral, it's not just that you don't have to do it, but you declare that the whole society shouldn't do it, right? If you declare that homosexuality is immoral, okay, that not just you don't do it, but nobody should do it. If you say murder is immoral, nobody should do it. If, if you just think that eating pork is immoral, then nobody should do it. That's the law, right? So, you know, morals are supposed to hit the whole society, and it shouldn't, you know, you can say, well, but I like eating pork. And I said, yeah, but you're Jewish, and you're not supposed to. It's immoral. Um, and even though if it tastes good, feels good, whatever, that doesn't justify it. So says somebody who's standing on the moral pedestal. And I would say to that person that morals are based on cultural norms. And for me, this is, this is who I am. And almost, for instance, if you, if you take a look at, let's, let's pick homosexuality, that person chooses and is born into who they are. There is, there is an undeniable fact that that, maybe I shouldn't have said chose, but there's an undeniable fact that they are who they are. For me, hunting is undeniable, inseparable for the person that I am. But that's, uh, yeah, yeah, no, 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 it's, it's, it's more that I, I know exactly what people are gonna say. They're gonna say yes, but somebody can say, I'm, I'm gonna pick an extreme argument here, but basically saying, you know, 
molesting children is just who I am. You know, it's just part of who I am. I just, you know, I just enjoy it. I just do it. You know, seven-year-olds, that's what I just do. And, and so you can't take that away from me. You know, it's just don't call it immoral. I mean, do you see what I mean? It's, it's it just because it feels good, it's, it's okay for you, does it make it right for the whole society or for anybody? <laughs> it's tough. <laughs> you're, you're talking apples to oranges, though. Okay, all right, all right. I, yeah, this is, this is I'm, I'm trying as much as I can to throw every single argument that you can imagine <laughs> to understand their perspective and so that they can understand your defense. And that's the only way I think that there can be any kind of understanding because I think that people have a, a misconception on both ends. You know, in other words, I, I think that hunters maybe haven't given much thought about the vegetarian or vegan perspective, although I think in general, hunters think about it a lot, lot more than non-hunters because it's kind of like atheists think about religion a lot more than most religious people because most people are not born into atheism they have to really think about it think about it think about it think about it and then they get there and then they've thought they've heard every argument about why they should be religious and then they decide okay i'm going to be an atheist so they've heard all the arguments and most of the time hunters have heard all the arguments in society because there's so many they're plentiful as to why hunting is bad. So they are very familiar and very educated about the arguments. But most people are not well-versed and have given much thought to the hunting side. And that's why I want to give you a platform to kind of help illuminate the perspective of, of these people who are, are, uh, are, are just curious, ignorant, or you know, don't know much about it. Um, so I appreciate what have you learned from this whole experience personally? I remember you talking about having, instead of having kind of bold trophy photos where your people are kind of like smiling and happy about standing over their animal that they might have just harvested, but instead having kind of more soulful, uh, not morbid, but um, should I say somber, Reverend. somber. Reverend. Reverend. Reverend, yes. Talk about that. For me, that the... The concept is is that we have to be better storytellers. We often, hunting gets characterized as very negative, very macho, egotistical, dominant over something else. And there's a whole internal world of all hunters. And I hope to help to educate hunters to be able to tell their own story better. And how would they do that? It's a matter of changing your vocabulary and changing your imagery because those are the only ways to bring in the people who've never experienced it. So, for example, what would you suggest? To a fellow hunter, I would say to utilize social media and to post photos that illustrate yourself in a humbling stance in relation to the animal. Taking a life is a serious, serious thing. And it's not something that's just celebratory and happy. There's sadness and somber and sorrow and 
a lot of seriousness in that act. And so if we can illustrate that as hunters to the non-hunting public, I think it's a crucial, crucial element into how we portray ourselves. Do you do Instagram? I do. Where can they follow you? Um, my Instagram's private. It's just family. Um, but Facebook is facebook.com backslash Brit Hosmer. B-R-I-T-T-H-O-S-M-E-R. I really appreciate your courage because, you know, getting the short time I've spent with you, I can tell that you're kind of a shy private lady. And here you were just going about your own life quietly, not trying to bother anybody. And then suddenly, boom, out of nowhere came this vast spotlight on your face. And you're like like a deer caught in the headlights <laughs> looking at this spotlight and kind of thrust onto the stage that you never asked for. I mean, most people kind of seek publicity for one, but that was the last thing on your mind. And so I want to thank you for having the courage to step up and face the challenge of the onslaught of assholes like me who come up and ask you <laughs> tough questions and, uh, and, 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 and at least try to help further the understanding and the communication because I think it's only through communication that we're going to be able to at least understand each other. The goal is not necessarily to agree with each other, but at least to have civil discussions and to, and not name calling and kill that bitch and whatever all this other ridiculousness instead to say okay let's have a civil discussion let's talk like adults we may end up disagreeing at the end of the day but at least we try to understand each other's perspective and for that i really thank you thank you i appreciate the opportunity that's the end of the interview with Brittany, and i hope you enjoyed the fascinating discussion i had with her it was really tough to ask some of the questions I asked because I knew it was going to be pushing some of her buttons, but I really admire how she kind of stood firm and was able to answer them as best as she could. And I hope that for some people who don't understand hunting can get a little bit of insight and a little bit of understanding from our discussion. I certainly did. I'm, I tend to be a vegan most of the time and I eat meat only when I travel. And so I'm not a big hunting person. At the same time, I recognize the hypocrisy that a lot of people who do eat meat, even vegetarians who are vegans, are hypocritical. Sometimes they consume leather goods and that kind of stuff. I wanted to really probe the understanding of the morality of the issue. And she brought up, I thought, a very interesting question, which is, well, when you're vegetarian or vegan, you do, in fact, transform the habitat of a lot of places. You might cut down, promote the cutting down of wildlife habitat in order to grow the vegetables that you want to eat. And therefore, being a vegetarian, there's an opportunity cost there because some wild animals could be living in the space that we grow corn, soybeans, potatoes, and all the other vegetarian products that we consume. All of those vegetables and fruits, they take up space. So it's easy to think about the direct killing of animals, but there is an indirect killing of animals that takes place, or at least diminishing of their wildlife, diminishing of their numbers, when we start to cur uh, create farms all over the planet. Because wildlife can't live on farms, most part, unless it's really small, unless you consider a worm and snails as wildlife. That was a very fascinating point. 
thought-provoking. I don't know how much practical use it has unless you become, I think it's called a fruitopian, basically people who only eat fruits that fall off trees. I don't know how long they live for. In the end, I felt that there was this fundamental question. I would love to hear your feedback. You can post comments on my website, uh, wanderlearn.com, to see what you thought about it. And I think you could see that Brittany was struggling in some ways to answer those same questions. And frankly, I don't pretend to have the answers either. But I hope at least this podcast caused you to reflect and think about your values and how you feel about hunting, eating animals, and living on this planet. This is Fran Stapon, encouraging you to wander and learn. And that concludes this episode of the Wander Learn podcast, where we explore travel technology and transformation. If you'd like to see the show notes with links to what we talked about, or if you'd like to comment on the show, or if you'd like to ask me a question, then go to wanderlearn.com and click on the latest episode. If you'd like to connect with me, just remember F Tapon. That's my first initial and my last name. F Tapon is the username I use on all social media. You can also get to my website by going to ftapon.com. Here's one last reason to remember ftapon. If you like what I do and want to get rewarded for supporting my projects, then go to patreon.com slash, yep, you guessed it, ftapon. That's where you can pick up some sweet rewards for as little as $1 a month. And remember, subscribing to the WanderLearn podcast helps, but downloading each episode helps even more. Please share the podcast, review it, and sign up for my newsletter at wanderlearn.com. This show was edited by Rejoice Tapon. The music was composed by Eric Stratman. This is Francis Tapon, encouraging you to wander and learn.